Pray with me. Give my words wings, Lord. May they fly high enough to reach the mighty, low enough to breathe the breath of sweet encouragement upon the downcast soul. Give my words wings, Lord. May they fly swift and far, winning the race to the, word, the hearts of the worldly wise and the hearts of men. Give my words wings, Lord. See them nesting down at your feet, silenced into ecstasy, home at last. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to look into a very familiar passage of Scripture, the 23rd Psalm. And let me read you the Scriptures. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of rightness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely, not maybe, surely, 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 surely. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you ever get disappointed when the preacher is taking something that is so familiar to you, you could preach three or four sermons yourself? And you've looked into it, and it's perhaps only been heard for you at funerals, which is very sad, for this isn't for funerals, this isn't for death. Yes, there's one line. We shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever, but this is for life. And the whole key to this psalm is between the first and last verses. The Lord is my shepherd for all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And maybe even if you've only heard it at funerals on that one line, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I want you to think of this for life. I want you to think of this as a journey because that's what David was writing about. I remember coming in from a meeting I'd been taking, having to go to bed very late and get up and go out the next morning and really needing replenishing, restoring, I was tempted not to follow my pattern of reading. I hope you all have a pattern of reading. Get one from the bookstore, get one from anywhere, but have somebody give you the passage of scripture you should be reading and stick to it. And that way you'll get right the way through the Bible and you won't be just feeding in one little corner of the pasture for the rest of your life. Well, I have that pattern, and when I came to the pattern, and I was really hungry and needing repleting, and I was exhausted, it was the 23rd Psalm. And I said to the shepherd, oh, I hope you don't mind, but I think I've, I've grazed this. I, I know this. I, I'm looking for something new and fresh, and fresh grass, Lord. And, and I was just about to turn over to Malachi or somewhere like that and look for something new. And I know that the shepherd said, ah, read it. And so I was obedient and I began to read such a familiar thing. And there, in the corner of a verse, 
God had grown me a little patch of nourishment that hadn't been there till then because I didn't need it till then. God's grass grows overnight. Yes, it does. So when you come to familiar scriptures, don't pass them by. I was so glad I didn't because what I needed that night was there waiting for me. The shepherd always knows what the exhausted, depleted, restoring is to happen and he leads us. And even if the passage doesn't look as though it's anything to do with what you are needing from God, he will grow you grass overnight. You'll see. So let's look at a very familiar psalm. David, of course, is the writer. He was a shepherd. He knew all about shepherd and sheep. In fact, he'd never had a real childhood, had he? Well, he had in that culture, but he, being the youngest of many brothers, had been sent out to look after the sheep and the goats. And so he was there all his childhood. He never played with other children. He never had a teenage life. He was a shepherd. And that's where he learned God. He learned solitude. He learned silence, some of the things that we don't know anything about in this generation. All there was was God and him and the sheep and the lions and the bears and fun things like that. <laughs> and he looked up to the sky one day and he said, oh, when I consider the stars and the work of your fingers, what is man that you're mindful of him? Your mind is full of man when you have all these stars to keep into place says in Isaiah that you've put all the stars in place and named them and not one of them is missing. He knows where each of them are. I always think, oh Lord, just lend me a bit of that because I never know where my glasses are and my books and my car or anything like that. And God knows where everything is, not only the stars that are inanimate, but certainly the sheep, certainly the sheep. And he uses an image that is used right the way through the Old Testament. It starts in Genesis where Jacob talks to God as the great shepherd of Israel, right at the beginning of the Bible. Because Jacob, at one point in his life, had had a vision and a dream. He'd messed up back home. He was running away from his brother who wanted to kill him. Sure, that's not the first time that's happened, but this was for real. And Esau was chasing him with his soldiers and he ran for good reason. And he ended up exhausted in the middle of a field, fell asleep and had this vision of a ladder stretching to heaven. And when he looked in this vision, there was one like unto the Son of God, it says, sitting on a throne. And there were angels going up and down the ladder. And the one sitting on the throne spoke to him and said, my name is Jehovah, Lord capital L-O-R-D, the word that he uses, the Lord is my shepherd, that David uses here. And so Jacob, the father who had all these children and they became the children of Israel and all that wonderful story, he knew God was a personal God, for this is the name of the personal God, the one who came down the ladder. When did he come down the ladder? To Bethlehem. God said to him, who will go? Who will go for us? Speaking of the Trinity, Jesus said, I will. And the great shepherd of the sheep came down the ladder, became a baby. 
And so David is so familiar with this idea that the one his father and his heritage, Jacob, saw sitting on the throne was a personal God. And David knew this. Why did David knew it? Because he was king of Israel. When the kings were crowned, they were given a scroll, a scroll of scripture, of the law. All the time he was king, it had to be in a pocket in his long robe, and he was to take it, and he was to learn it, and read it, and digest it, and live it. I think he left it at home only one day, and he didn't get off the roof. Saw a beautiful woman, remember the story? But the rest of the time, he read it, and he knew it. And David knew passages, chunks of scripture, if you wish, off that roll that had to do with the shepherd of Israel, that great shepherd of the sheep. And so it's not surprising that in one of his psalms, probably the most famous of his psalms, we see him using this analogy of shepherd and sheep. He could have used king and commoner. He could have used husband and wife. The Lord is the husband, Israel is the wife. All these analogies and pictures were used. But he used the one that most people find their favorite. If I gave you all of those, king and commoner, vine and branches, all of those things that he could have used and then say shepherd and sheep, I know because I've done it in audiences that the most favorite one image that we have is shepherd and sheep. Shepherd and sheep. So many wonderful images. And so there are many verses in the Old Testament, as well as the New, about shepherding and sheep. And David knew the ones, obviously, only in the Old Testament. The whole Bible is the whole Bible. I remember teaching some of my kids in Liverpool hundreds of years ago. They were sort of nearly semi-literate. They were 15, 16, they were gangs, they were tough kids. And they began to come to the Lord in my classroom. And one of them, Trevor, said to me, would you teach us to read, miss? I said, that's a very brave thing for you to ask in front of your mates. I would be delighted to teach you. I said, actually, you can nearly read. You just don't know it yet. I would love to do that. But why do you want to learn to read? And he said, I want to read the Bible for myself. I want to read the Bible for myself. And so I began teaching these kids to read. And it wasn't long before Trevor was leading the whole group and saying where he wanted to be. And, and then he said, well, now, now you've taught us to read, will you teach us the Bible? And I said, I'd love to. I went to my headmaster and said, uh, can I ha use the school? He said, yes, because there were transformed lives. They tried everything else and nothing was working. And Jesus, of course, transforms lives. And he was delighted. It's public school. He said, be my guest. What do you want? I'll give you anything you want. This is working. And so I said, well, I want to teach the Bible. He said, they need a dose of the Bible. He said, that's fine. And so I began. And I said to the kids, and I was a very young Christian myself. I'd just been converted at Cambridge. I said to the kids, where do you want to start? I didn't know. I, I didn't know when I got saved that an apostle was the wife of an epistle. I didn't know anything about my Bible. And so I wasn't far on from that. And he said, at the beginning, he says, you start at the beginning, miss. He says, you know, here's the book and here's the beginning. And he says, I've been looking in the one you gave me. And there's an old bit and there's a new bit. <laughs> and I said, yes, that's the Old Testament, the New Testament. He said, what's Testament? I said, well, never mind. There's an old bit and there's a new bit. 
And I learned, of course, with my kids as we began to get into the Bible. There was an old bit and a new bit. And it wasn't long after that that I read somewhere or other in a book somebody gave me that it's one book, though. And if we could do away with the New Testament and the Old Testament, you would see that the theme, the grand themes of salvation and all of these themes, they go from Genesis. It's a red thread of redemption right the way through to, to Revelation. It's one book. And so I started preparing this talk for you by just looking up everything I could find about shepherd and sheep as it was in the Old Testament and then everything I found in the New Testament and they're intertwined and Jesus refers to the Old Testament and shepherd stuff and books and, and things like that. And of course in prophecy, David had no idea what he was saying when he wrote Psalm 22. He wrote it as a frightened little sheep who was being attacked by his enemies and suddenly, prophetically, he began to absolutely in detail tell us about the cross and what would happen at the cross when the shepherd was killed and how they'd divide his garments. And in detail, Psalm 22 talks about that. Amazing. And so it's intertwined. It's all one. So when Jesus, the shepherd, came... He talked about himself in language that the people listening to him who were Jews could understand. He said, I'm the shepherd of the sheep. I'm Jehovah. I am. That's why they tried to kill him. You shouldn't say you're God. That's blasphemy. And he did. He said, I'm the one Jacob saw. Look at me. Even his disciples didn't get it. Three years with him. Philip says, if you just... Show us Jehovah, you know, if you just show us the Lord, if you just show us the Father, we'd be happy. And Jesus said, look at me, Philip, look at me. You're looking at him. How had he never noticed he had his father's eyes? Great shepherd of the sheep. And so no wonder in parable and teaching when Jesus the shepherd came, he taught about the shepherd in John 10. And in parable, he told about the lost sheep, remember? How the shepherd had a hundred. It didn't matter because one was lost. Every individual sheep he cared about. Everyone had a name. Everyone was an individual in the crowd. Now when he lost his sheep, the great shepherd of the sheep, went and found him, went and found him. And so all the people listening to him were Jews and they knew all about the shepherd of Israel and they knew all about Isaiah where it says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way and the Lord has laid on him, who? The hymn of Psalm 22. The hymn of the prophets, the hymn of the people around them for Psalm 22 hadn't happened at that point that we're talking about the shepherd of Israel. I love it the way it's all interwoven. And Jesus came and said, I'm the good shepherd. Not only am I the good shepherd, I'm the door of the sheep. Now that was not changing the analogy. The sheepfold had an open door. It was called the gate, but there wasn't a gate. The shepherd was the gate. 
And when the shepherd had counted the sheep in, touching each one from head to tail as they went by, always touching, always touching, always touching, and naming them as they came in, he would not shut the gate because there wasn't one. He would use oil to rub their little woolly head if it was bumped and bruised as healing balm. He would attend to his sheep. And then when they lay down, he would too, across the opening. I am the door. I am the door. The people listening to him would have been familiar with that image. He was the door. In Psalm 22, it says the lion came and got him. And it describes the lion roaring at him. He got him. But three days later, he got the lion. Yes, right? Three days later, the shepherd got the lion that got him. And he rose from the dead and came back to be our shepherd, our great shepherd of the sheep. This image is very powerful. It's very wonderful. And David picks up his pen and talks about his own heart relationship with God in these images that would have been incredibly familiar with those people. And even though we are not perhaps familiar with them, the nearest we have got is a woolly jumper maybe. <laughs> That's the nearest we get to sheep and shepherds in our knowledge. We know because we've been to school and we're literate. We're literate. Always thank God every morning that you can read. But also remember, he that does not read has no advantage over he that cannot read. And so as we read and as we apply our heart to the green pastures and as we use the blessing of our education to find out from the scriptures all this wonderful wealth of explanation of who God is and what he's like and why he came, thank him for that. Thank him for that. And remember, he that does not read has no advantage over he that cannot read. So let's think about our relationship to him. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, leads me beside the quiet waters, and thus restores my soul. He renews, uh, replenishes, is the word I'm looking for, the depleted. It's the opposite of depleting. Depleting is what we are in our society. Replenishing means he restores my soul and implies the seasoning and quickening of the soul in times of depression, exhaustion, internal weakness, and disorder. That's what replenish means. And that actually is as near as we can get to the word that's used in another language here. He replenishes the sheep. He replenishes the soul, the me, the internal person that lives within this tent, this body. The shepherd, Christ, the shepherd, by his spirit now, can replenish our soul. And if that isn't a word for us in this hectic, depleted state we're in, I cannot tell you the people who have come up and said, it wasn't so much the valley of the shadow and it wasn't this and it wasn't that. I, I'm all right. My, you know, I'm still a believer. I'm just out. I've run out. I'm depleted. Spiritually, I'm depleted. And maybe that's where you are. 
Now, the first thing you need to do is make sure the Lord is your shepherd. My husband told this story, I believe, about 20 years ago, so I'm safe in telling it again, probably. <laughs> but it's a favorite story, and it's a true story. We have a friend, or Stuart had a friend, in Scotland who was an evangelist. He lived in England, but he used to go, and he was a children's evangelist. And that was pretty common where we were growing up. And they would simply be invited to little churches and gather the children in sort of open-air meetings or inside, probably inside, because it was England, and we have two seasons, winter and the second week of August, okay? <laughs> and so you would gather the children and take them in, and then the visiting evangelist would preach for a whole week. It would be evangelistic, but also whatever was needed that the pastor felt the kids needed. And our friend was one of those children's evangelists. And so he traveled up to a kirk, that's a church in Scotland, in the north, pointed end of the British Isles, in the winter. He couldn't do it any other time. Winter was just beginning, and it was pretty wild up there, and pretty cold and miserable. And he passed a shepherd and his sheep in a field, and he stopped his car, and he said, I've come to talk about Jesus at the kirk. Your pastor has asked me to come. Will you be able to come to the meetings? I'm going to talk about the 23rd Psalm, and it's all about sheep and shepherds, so I thought maybe you'd like to come. And the little boy said, oh, I'll ask if, if I can get someone else to help me, then I'll come. And he came to a couple or two of them. And at those meetings, our friend used his left hand, and I'm going to describe this because people are listening on radio and can't see me. I'm holding up my left hand, and the pastor used his right hand to talk about and he touched each finger as he talked about it, the Lord is my shepherd. And he split up his meetings by taking a different aspect. The Lord is my shepherd. And when he got to the my, he took his right hand and held that finger tightly. And he talked to the children about having to do this. You've got to say at some point in your life, he's mine. I want him to be mine, and I want to be his. I am his, and he is mine forever, as the hymn says. He's mine. Have you said that? I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you've been in church all your life. I don't care if you look like a sheep and sing like a sheep and act like a sheep. You might not be a sheep if you have not said, mine. This little boy listened. So did everyone else. Our friend left. The winter was terrible. There was a snowstorm. And the little shepherd boy, unbeknown to the people around, couldn't get the sheep back to the fold for the night. And he perished with his sheep in snowdrifts over 12 feet high. And when they found his frozen body, they couldn't really understand it. And so the pastor rang our friend and said, we found his body like this. We found the little boy clutching his finger, his fourth finger. Why would that be? Oh, said the evangelist. He's all right. He's home. He's home. He's home. Have you done this? Mothers, have your children done this? Don't let anybody rob you, fathers and mothers, of the joy of helping your kids to do this. Don't leave it to anyone else. Make sure they can say, the Lord is my shepherd.
And he loves me. And he feeds me. And he leads me in right paths. How do we know what the right path is for our life? I see that there's a lot of teenagers here. I love that. Spent my life with kids. I have no idea what I'm doing with you big people. <laughs> That's all right. But you know, I love the young people's heart who take the challenge of saying, the Lord is my shepherd and I will follow him. I spent an evening with the college age and I was there a long time afterwards answering the same questions. How will I know God's will for my life? How will I know the job I should do? How will I know who I should marry and who I shouldn't? How will I know this? How will I know how to act at work and this is the situation? What should I say to my parents who do not believe? What should I, how, how, what path should I take? And I tried to help them ask the shepherd. In fact, we kept stopping the conversation. I said, well, let's ask the shepherd. He's going to show you the right path. And then in my mind, I was thinking of the question and realizing there was a piece of green pastures they needed to read. And by the time we'd finished praying, I would turn to it and say, okay, this is what the shepherd says about this particular thing. And we would read it. We would read it. And God wants us to know this book so thoroughly, so well. Hang our hearts over it, yes. But to know it inside out. Why would we not? That when we want to know the right path, we know the right path. Oh yeah, where is that? Something about so-and-so. Or was there a situation sort of like mine, pretty well like mine actually, what happened and what did they decide to do and, and what did they do right and what did they do wrong? This is where you'll get the answer. He will lead you in right paths right paths. Yes, we can help each other. Yes, of course, the Bible study leader and the pastor and all of us people who are counseling and helping people, we can help. We're under shepherds. But hey, don't go to an under shepherd. First, go to him. Go to him. If you don't know how to go to him, that's the question you should ask. Somebody said to me the other day, would you mentor me, Jill? I said, no, but I'll show you how Jesus will mentor you. I'll meet with you three times. Jesus wants to mentor you. And then you'll be fine. He'll do a lot better job than me, but I'll show you how. And so you graze in the green pastures and you lie by the still waters. In a sense, you could use that as prayer, a place where the presence of God is there the invitation to sit on the steps of your soul in the deep place where nobody goes and have a conversation. That place, that's poetic language, but the place to go in the interior life and you are responsible for your own interior life. The shepherd is not. He will take you to the green pastures. He will not lean down, take your little mouth, your sheep mouth and say, chew. He will show you where it is. Our job is to chew it over. Our job is to meditate. Our job is to eat until we're full. Do you know a sheep never lies down till its stomach's full? It's true. Never lies down till its stomach's full. And here it says, you will lie down in these green pastures. Have you ever read your Bible till you're saying, oh, I can't. <laughs> I can't take any more. That's, that's wonderful. 
I need to go to sleep. When your stomach's full, you usually go to sleep. Is that what happens when he shows you the green pastures and you do the work of eating it? And what about prayer? What about this place? This place, what else is there? Where else is there? What else is there? Some time at your feet, a pause in your presence, time holding its breath with a sense of everness pervading my living room. Holiness that hovers, evidenced by quietness beyond quietness, permeating this space beneath the praise of angels. What do we know about it? What do I know about it? Never enough. I can't get enough. Still waters. Green pastures. Replenishing our soul. In order that we may follow the shepherd. Standing in Jerusalem once at the sheep gate. Traditionally the place that the shepherds brought their flocks at night because they're on the hills around Jerusalem and they're going to get marauded and sheep are going to get stolen and they might get killed. So they would come into the gates of Jerusalem and all the gates have a different meaning. Many gates around the city of Jerusalem still there to this day. Although the gate's not there, the hole is. And the sheep gate is a favorite place of mine. I always visit it when I'm there. And I watch the shepherds bringing their sheep through all the tourists and this medley and mess on the very narrow sidewalk at sunset. And Stuart and I were there with a group once and I looked to the right and here's this sheep line coming towards me and it was just the neatest thing. They were all little sort of happy woolly little sheep and all fluffy and, <laughs> and they were nose to tail and they never got out and sometimes the shepherd looked behind and used his rod and stuff very, very seldom and, and called a name or something and, and they sort of got back in line and, you know, trot, trot, trot. And I thought, boy, I, w I wish I belonged to that flock. I'd like, that's a nice shepherd. I turned around and looked in the opposite direction and there was another shepherd coming with another line of sheep and I cannot tell you the contrast. They were all over the place. They were just, there were screaming cars because they were darting into the traffic and this poor shepherd, he was running down and putting them back in place and they were scraggy and dirty and one even had a half an ear hanging off, you know? And I thought, well, I wouldn't like to belong to his flock. You get the point. For his name's sake, do people look at us and say, I wonder who's looking after them. I wonder, how are they coping? They've just had this tragedy in their life, but look at them, they're surviving it more than that. There is a serenity about them. There is a power. There is actually hope. Of course there are tears. What do people say when they look at us? Are we so little redeemed? that nobody will believe in our Redeemer or want to join his flock. Now I admit, when I first went into a church at the age of 19, after my conversion at Cambridge, I was in flock shock. <laughs> I didn't like the church. I'd never been before, but it only took me two or three Sundays to decide I didn't want to belong to that flock. I'd be on my own, you know, just the shepherd and me. What do I need the flock for? Well, we need the flock because God says we need the flock. 
It's his method. We'll talk, talk to him about that when we get up there, right? <laughs> That's his method. Flock. And as I began, as a young believer, to be there, I figured out a whole lot of things which I don't have time to go into to tell you about why we need to be in the flock. And actually, when thinking back, the first flock I found I wanted to be in was led by wonderful shepherds and all the sheep were just absolutely woolly and happy and just great. And I thought, yeah, I'd like to belong here. We judge the shepherd by the sheep. We judge the shepherd by the sheep. Let's take that to heart. And even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, remember where there's a shadow, there's always light. It's never totally dark. It will be dark. We live in a period called life after the fall with a fallen nature. What do you expect? Until glory and the new heaven and the new earth. That's how it's going to be. But here in the psalm, David says, yeah, there'll be shadows. I've had shadows. Look at the history of me. Read it in Chronicles. See what I had to go through. Always a shadow, but always light. For where there's a shadow, there's always light. And that's because he is the light of the world. And he says, I will be with you and you will have no fear of evil. He will comfort me and he will spread me a table of grass <laughs> and we'll have a banquet and the enemies can be leering and pressuring us and it doesn't matter because he's there. I will never Never, 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 not once leave you or forsake you. And surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That's like the sheepdogs of Psalm 23. Goodness and mercy will be behind us. God's goodness and mercy. And the shepherd will be leading us home. Leading us home. There's homeness in everybody's heart. There's this, I don't belong here. I belong home, home. I want to go home found that on 9-11 when I was stuck in Gander with my plane load of people for six and a half days uh, trying to get back to America. And I found that everybody wanted to go home. I also found everybody had gone home in America. Do you remember when the planes hit the towers, what happened? Everybody went home. Do you notice that? All the businesses closed, everything. I, I need to go home. And there was a woman I was trying to talk to in my plane load who was pretty far away from God. And she didn't need a shepherd and she didn't need anything. But she was a very unhappy lady. And I eventually got to talk to her and tried to talk to her about the Lord. And she said, oh, I'm not interested in that. She said, I just want to go home. And I said, oh, do you have a good home? She said, no, I have a terrible home. My husband's running around on me, etc., etc." And I said, but you want to go home? She said, this just, I just, I'm frightened. I just want to go home. And I said, God put that in your heart. She said, what is it? I said, it's homeness. It's, I don't belong here, I belong somewhere else. It's, I want to go home. And she said, yeah, yeah, I've got that. And then she said to me, can you tell me something? And I said, sure. She said, why are you always smiling? She said, nobody else is smiling in this situation. You're always smiling, I look at you. And I didn't tell her, <laughs> but I had asked God for an idea to get her attention. And God had given me the idea, smile at her. Well, I didn't tell her that. <laughs> I just smiled. 
got up in the morning, got coffee. We were in a Salvation Army floor, uh, 418 of us, and saw her in the crowd and put coffee in front of her and smiled at her, etc. Well, I'd done this three days and it wasn't working. I said, Lord, she doesn't care whether I'm, you know, snarling or smiling. But apparently she did. She noticed. And so one day she said to me, why are you smiling when we were having this conversation? And I said, because I am home. She said, what do you mean you are home? We're here. I said, home is the will of God for the child of God. I'm at home inside. I'm settled. This apparently is where he needs me. I would love to be at home in one sense. But if this is where he wants me, there's a settledness. So that's why I can smile. And she said, tell me about that. And I said, oh, I'd love to. It's my shepherd. And he's leading me home. God has put homeness in your heart. And that's why you'll never be satisfied, never be happy, and never be settled until you let him into your heart and make him home in your heart. And one day, I didn't say it like this. <laughs> one day, he'll lead you right through some gates and show you the room he's prepared for you. That's the word, incidentally, in John 14. Not I've prepared a house for you, I've prepared a room in my house for you. Show you your room in his house and then you will be at home forever. Forever. Do you know the world needs to hear that message? Because God has put homeness in their heart and they don't know where it is. They just want to go home. Tell them. Tell them. Let me finish with this. When healing oil was needed for the wounds within my soul, when battered, raw, and bleeding, I needed to be whole. When enemies surrounded me, and all I knew was fear, my shepherd came and found me and whispered, I am here. He lifts me on his shoulders and he laughs in fear's face and he carries me through danger and all I know is grace, then gently puts me down again though enemies abound, and tells me I am dear to him, for I'm the sheep he found. And he leads me to green pastures and rests me by cool streams. And he lays a table for me within my darkest dreams. And the nourishment is such that when it's time to follow on, I gladly face tomorrow, for all my fears are gone. So when I cannot thank him for all that's come to pass, I'll feast within the wilderness and wait for greener grass. When I can't praise for what's been done, I lift my voice out loud and praise my Lord for who he is in what he has allowed. And I'll quit saying, take the shadows away. And I'll quit asking him to kiss every hurt better here. And I'll try and follow. When I can't praise for what's been done, I lift my voice out loud and praise my Lord for who he is, my shepherd, in what he has allowed. Praise who he is, my shepherd dear, who gave his life for me, who's led and fed and raised the dead to live in victory, whose rod and staff have saved me from all my sinfulness. He'll wipe the tear, be ever near, in glories, ever as Stuart and I put that together. We've never written a poem together. 
and we put it together after I had shared what I was going to share with you and said, tell me, teach me, help me, expand it, push me, so I can get some of it right. And at the end, I wrote the poem and sent it to him to edit. And he did a pretty good job. He edited. <laughs> and he put within it his own thoughts. So it was rather neat. We wrote a poem together. I love it. <laughs> but those are the lines. When you can't praise for what's been done, lift your voice out loud and praise your Lord for who he is in what he has allowed. He's your shepherd. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, dear shepherd of the sheep, you found me, you saved me. I was so lost. Thank you. You are my shepherd. I invite you to Tell him that, even if it's for the first time, or reiterate it, remind yourself. Hold that fourth finger where you sit and say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Lead me home, Lord. Lead us home. And may we make people say, who is looking after them? I'd like to belong to that flock. What a challenge. We love you, Lord. Amen.